So this week I was going through that. I was telling somebody this morning I had actually gone through and kind of started down another another trail and kind of had the, the beginnings of a sermon put together. And then long about Thursday, it was like, okay, trash that. <laughs> and the Lord really laid something on my heart today. I think it's going to speak to us all. You see, we live in interesting times, right? I mean, everywhere we look, there's so much uncertainty. I mean, if you ever, I mean, I, I've, been, I've been around for 59 years. I mean, 6-0 is just around the corner. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. But I've never seen a time that seemed like there was so much uncertainty, so much division. I mean, this nation is literally divided. And I look at it all, I was thinking about this this week, I look at it all much like the whole debate between the glass being half full and the glass being half empty. I mean, you could take something like that and people are going to jump on both sides. I mean, they're going to lay their arguments out there and everything. You know what I th- hit me this week? I was like, guys, you're all wrong. It's not half full. It's not half empty. Amen. The truth of the matter is it's refillable. We can have refillable faith. And as I was thinking about that, my mind went to a passage of Scripture that has intrigued me for years and years and years. In this passage, in Mark chapter 9, we see that a father brings his demon-possessed son to Jesus. And he asks this question. He says, Jesus, if you can do anything, And notice that, if you can do anything. Now, come on. If we're honest, we've all kind of had that little bit of an attitude on occasion. Lord, if you could do something about this situation. Let's let's look at what Jesus said, starting at verse 23. Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, it says, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. You know, you you could literally say that this man's faith was half full or half empty, whichever way you want to look at it, right? I mean, he knew that he had a level of belief But he acknowledged that he also had a level of unbelief. And I love his response where he says, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. He was saying, my glass of faith is about half full. Can you top it off for me? See, that's the whole thing is sometimes we have those moments that, we, that a little bit of doubt creeps in and some things get in the way. And we need to realize that, yes, sometimes we have those moments, but the great news about our faith is it's refillable. Yes. 
I mean, when you look at this whole passage of Scripture, there's things we could pull from this. We could talk about healing. We could talk about the spiritual bondage that his son was in. We could talk about faith and a lack of faith. But the whole point is that this faith is this, that it's refillable. Matter of fact, I don't know if you've thought about this, but go and look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where it talks about the gifts of the Spirit, and you'll see that one of the gifts of the Spirit is faith. Yes, we need faith to believe, but praise God that there is a faith that is the gift of faith, that when our faith comes up a little short, there's a gift and empowerment of the Holy Spirit that can come upon us, that can fill up that gap of faith that we have. Our lack of faith that can build us to that place where we just know that we know. Years ago, I was just occasionally, I look and I ran across a, a book that was on the bookshelf at a Bible bookstore, and it's a book by the name, by a, written by author by the name of Craig Groeschel, and it said this, and the title of the book was The Christian Atheist. That kind of made me go, what? So I grabbed the book and flipped it open and began to flip, flip, flip through it. And, and one of the things that caught my attention was that title, title, or chapter one basically said believing, was titled Believing in God, but living as if he doesn't exist. I bought the book. <laughs> because I wanted to see, now, I probably wouldn't have given it that exact title. I might have been, I might have been for me, it might have been a more like, you know, I believe in God, but I'm a little bit agnostic. But yet, he's not wrong. There are times that we believe, but we live as if we don't. You know, and that's exactly what this father was in this story, that he brought his son to Jesus and he had some belief, but yet he clearly claimed, he said, help my unbelief. I'm going to sidestep here and get on a little tangent for a moment. He called it his unbelief. It's mine How many things, you know what, that is one of my pet peeves, and I talk to Kim about this a lot. I hate when I watch a commercial about some drug, and somebody's talking about my depression. I'm like, why would you claim it? Why would you take ownership of it? I mean, you could go, my, my disease, my this, my that. Why would we ever take ownership? I'm not saying my life is perfect. I'm not saying there aren't things that pop up. But you know what I don't do? I don't call it mine. I say, Lord, this thing that's coming against me is not mine. Do something about it. And so why in the world would you call it my unbelief? But he had some unbelief. But at least he recognized his situation. See, far too many Christians, they have no clue how much unbelief they're really carrying around with them. And how much it is truly holding them back from everything that God has for them. I mean, if we truly knew everything that God has available for us, if we truly understood exactly what he wants to accomplish in our lives, how much of an overcomer we could actually be if we would just let go of some unbelief. Now, I'm not talking about a mind over matter kind of thing. 
But he longs for us. He desires for us to be full of faith. We're not asking him to do anything that he's not willing to do. He wants you and I to be full of faith. He wants you and I to walk in that that faithfulness and that assurance of who he is. And really, if if I boil all down to what, what I'm saying this morning, all down to one statement, it'd simply be this. If we truly knew him, we would fully trust him. And if we don't fully trust him, it's only because we don't truly know him. See, our personal level of, level of belief has everything to do with how well we know him. See, the more intimately we know him, the more full of faith we are. We live in a day where so many people mistakenly believe that what their feelings dictate is reality. Well, I feel. You know, I am so glad I don't base my life on feelings. Because feelings can convince us of all kinds of things that just aren't true. So you can believe, let me give you an example. You can believe that the stories of Genesis concerning creation are true, but... It wasn't God that did it. It was aliens. (laughs) Seriously, sometimes, for a good laugh, I will turn on the series on TV called Ancient Aliens, and they walk through stuff, and it's so funny to watch these intellectual people sit there and even talk about things in Genesis as if it's absolute fact, but it wasn't God that did it. It was aliens. I'm thinking, how, what kind of crazy faith do you have through that? But the truth is, their feelings are so wrapped up in this idea of aliens that they can't see the truth that's right there in front of them, that everything that the Bible says that happens in Genesis, they'll acknowledge that is true, but it wasn't God, it was aliens. Aliens just happened to be driving by one day and saw, oh, there's people there, let's mess with their DNA. And that's where we came from. I tell you what, that was so liberating. That so set me free. When the realization came that Jesus was an alien that broke the prime directive. That I'm the result of an alien experiment. Man, that's so freeing. Now my life has meaning. But because I know who he is, I know that he spoke the universe into existence. I know that he created everything We know by his spoken word. I know that he reached down with his own hands into the dust of the earth and formed man. You know what that tells me? That we're the ones, part of creation, that he actually put his fingerprints on. That he picked us up and he himself personally breathed life into us. 
And it's not just that he breathed life into us, but that he has a purpose for us walking this earth. That the Bible declares that he knew everything about us before we were born. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We have a purpose. It's not some accident. It's not some cosmic experience about some aliens or, or evolution or whatever else you want to call it. A holy God created us because he desired a relationship with us. And because of that, I can have a relationship and I can know who he is and my faith can be full. See, Jesus paid the price for my refillable faith cup. I can't help but I was thinking about when you go to the fair or you go to Six Flags and you go and say, you know what? I'm not going to spend this money for this drink multiple times a day. I'm going to buy the refillable cup. (laughs) Jesus gave his life on the cross so that we could have the refillable faith cup. That means anytime we need a refill, we just go to the spout where the glory comes out and we refill it. We can have that refillable faith. And the truth is, there's probably people all over the world right now that their faith is shaken. Their faith is empty. And they're wondering what in the world is happening and what's going around us. You know what the truth is? I don't know what's happening either. I've got some suspicions. My suspicion is he's getting ready to wrap this thing up. But however it plays out, My faith is strong. I can't tell you how many times I prayed, Lord, I don't know what you're up to. I don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. All I know is I plan on staying right here in the center of the lane where you are, and I'm going to follow you day by day and moment by moment, and whatever happens, you got me. Whatever happens, you have us. It will work out, and I have read the end of the book. We do win. See, Feelings can, can derail us. Feelings can distract, you, distract us. There is something different between a simple belief. It's not the same thing as firsthand knowledge from a relationship. Oh, somebody may come up to you and talking about an acquaintance and say, did you know that they did this, this, and that? And if they're they're just an acquaintance, you might buy it. But if it's somebody you know and you know intimately and they come up and start lying about them, you're like, "Uh uh-uh, I don't know who you're talking about, but that's not my friend. It's the same thing when we have that intimate relationship with God. I don't know everything. I don't know what all is up to. I just know he promised he would never leave me nor forsake me. And so I can take that to the bank because I know who he is. See, far too many people today scoff at the very idea that you can know God on a relational level, let alone hearing God's voice. You know what I call that? I call that secondhand knowledge. They know of God, but they don't know God. See, the father knew of Jesus. He had heard his reputation. He had heard that there's this man that was walking around and miraculous things was happening. But he didn't have full enough faith to walk up and say, Lord, here's my son. Heal him. He showed up and said, if you can. If he'd have really known who he was talking to, it wouldn't have been a if you can. It's Lord, 
here's my son. He needs your help. See, as humans walking this earth, we may know about God. We may have heard some Bible stories. We might even have scripture on a refrigerator magnet. But God desires so much more than that. He don't want us to have second-hand knowledge. He doesn't want to be in a friend-of-a-friend relationship with us. He wants to be in a father and child relationship. See, the Old Testament clearly shows what happens to people and nations when they reach that place. To me, one of the saddest passages of Scripture in the whole Bible is Judges 2.10, where it says this, When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work he had done for Israel. That's sad. I mean, you're, you're, can you imagine? You're living in the most blessed nation the planet had ever seen. People that were called God's chosen people. The stories, the, the miracles that God had worked, the things that he had done to bring them to the place that he brought them. And then, and those, I mean, seeing that and walking in that and experiencing that. And then a generation comes up that neither knew him nor saw the things that he had done. You know what that meant? It just became stories. It just became fables. It just became Bedtime stories with a moral to it. It just became a fictitious explanation of things that science hadn't caught up with. Boy, does that not describe so many today. I feel for so many of our youth today growing up in this culture that hasn't experienced the true move of God, that hasn't seen him do the things that he is capable of doing and the things that he longs to do and walking in his goodness. And for them, it's stories and it's things. And so no wonder they say, why would you believe those myths? Well, for me, it's not myths. Because I grew up watching these things happen. I grew up experiencing God's miracles ourselves. Man, I have seen God come in and miraculously heal a situation. I mean, just that fast. And when you walk through those things, it's kind of hard to let too much doubt creep in. You see, their parents had, so many times their parents had a level of belief, but somehow that belief never became their own. And worse, now we're at the place where sometimes it's not just the next generation, but it's three and four generations removed. And there are people that are walking this earth, and they have no concept that a holy God created them and loves them so much that at great expense to himself, he sent his very own son to die on the cross to pay for their sins, to put us into a place that we can be restored to right relationship with God. And so they buy into so many things that their, that their feelings dictate. Well, I feel this way and I feel that way. You know what? Feelings are great. And I'm glad that we have feelings. But feelings don't change what God says in his word. 
You can feel that something's out of balance. You can even feel that God is wrong, but God is never wrong. Some of us, our belief is unshakable because we have grown to know him intimately. Yes, I hear God's voice clearly at times. I am one of those. Call me crazy if you want. But like we said, he's never failed me yet. Matter of fact, I'll drop the yet. He's just never failed me. There's not a yet coming. The only yet that's coming is the answer prayer and the miracles on our behalf. My question is, if you truly believe, why don't you hear his voice? See, the voice of this world around us so many times, if the voices of this world carry more weight in your heart than the very voice of the living God of the universe, you're in dangerous ground. See, I don't care what laws they pass if it doesn't supersede God's law. But I love this. John 10, 25 through 27, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. See, they were looking for, tell us, are you the Messiah? It's like, okay, how many times? How many miracles does it require? I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. See, how can we truly know and hear his voice? It's really not that hard. When you're longing for a relationship with God, God will reward you. Matter of fact, Scripture says that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. It's not like you're reaching out or pursuing something that is unknowable. And if we continue to see God, we'll grow in him more and more, and the intimacy level will rise. (coughs) And when we hear God's voice, we'll learn to recognize it instantly. Oh, sure, there were times in my life that that when when I first said, I was like, God, is that you? Really? But with experience and intimacy, it comes like, oh, I know that voice. It's like that little laugh of Kim. I would pick that out of any crowd, anywhere. (laughs) Because I know her. Same thing with God's voice. See, why? Because we built a history together. Storing up of story after story and story and times that that voice has spoken and I've stepped out in faith. When, when the Holy Spirit has said, pray for that person that is carrying this disease, and I'm like, God? This is going to look really stupid if nothing happens. But I've learned that when he speaks to do Because when he speaks, there's a purpose to it. 
But when we do that, when we have those experiences, we, we'll, we'll love him. We'll trust him. And our faith cup will be refilled on a daily basis. So when troubled times creep in, our faith is refillable. Which leads me to my second thought. This faith that we're talking about, it's more than belief. I always put it this way. It's just some people say, well, how do you know? I don't know how to tell you. I just know him. I know her. I don't know what it is. Somewhere in there, there's a knower. There's a thing that just knows things, and I know him. I know her. Maybe you think I believe in God. Isn't that enough? I mean, a lot of people don't believe in God, and I do, right? But the truth is, that isn't all he wants from you. Jesus gave his life for relationship. James 2.19. Boy, if this doesn't bring, this doesn't hit you square in the face, I don't know what does. It says, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even demons believe and tremble. So just belief doesn't put you in great company. Relationship puts you in great company. See, there's, when we don't have a relationship, there's so much we miss out on. I hate it. I'll just be honest with you. I hate the times. I guess hate's a strong word. But there are times that I, that I have regrets when, when I am asked to do a funeral for somebody that I really don't know that well. Especially if they're a strong believer and I hear the families tell stories and, and, and about their faith and their life and the things they've done. And, and I sit there sometimes in the funeral I'm like, God, wow, I hate I didn't know them that much more because they seem like somebody who would be really cool to know. How much more with God? We, with all that is knowable about him, why would we not want to know? See, Jesus died for way more than your belief. He died to restore a right relationship with the Father in heaven. And I'll be honest, when I was a young man and raised in church, I didn't always have a personal relationship. Didn't always understand his ways. And to be honest with you, I really didn't put forth much effort into getting to know him. But when you do that, what do you do? You begin to live life by your own rules. And what your friends and what society tells you you ought to believe and your feelings and you can find yourself way off course. When he just says, I want a relationship with you. First John 2, 3 through 5 says, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. That's pretty straightforward, right? And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. See, if we truly believe, we'll know him. And if we know him, we will keep his commands. Because if we, came, if we claim to know him and yet still live according to our own rules or what society says we should do, then scripture says that makes us liars. 
Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Jesus makes this, this is Jesus himself who makes this statement, so this ought to open our eyeballs a little bit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. I talked last week about the parable of the virgins and how that literally, if you look at the parable Jesus told, literally 50% of those that thought they were going with the bridegroom did not. I'm not saying that that's the ratio that we're, I'm I'm just saying that ought to be an eye opener. That ought to be something that makes us realize, and even the scripture here declares, there are some that will think, well, we said, Lord, 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 and he said, well, depart from me, I didn't even know you. That alone ought to make us say, you know what, maybe I ought to pursue intimacy with him a little bit more. See, because many proclaim that they believe in God, but their lives don't reflect that they truly know him. They're caught up in all these things and all these other causes that are outside that the world tells us we ought to care about. And what we ought to care about is his cause. To me, the only, other, the only explanation for this is there's too much unbelief still hanging on. And there's so many areas that we can have unbelief in. God, did you really mean it when you said? Yes. Yes, he did. Lord, I don't really believe that you'd send people to hell. No, he doesn't send people to hell. We sin because we choose disobedience. See, if we truly knew him, we would fully trust him. See, I know him, therefore I have faith. So how do we refill our faith? It's refilled through relationship. Or what I would call a relational belief. So we can know that relational belief is happening. We become increasingly aware of God's presence. We become increasingly aware of his provision, his power, and the peace that rests with us on a daily basis. That we no longer feel God is just out there somewhere waiting for us, but he's, that he is out there and he's waiting for us to call on his name and he desires a relationship with us. You know something I've noticed about myself here of late? I can get a little lazy. I know that you guys don't think this is possible, but I can get a little lazy sometimes in my prayer life. But I've noticed when I do, I get a little cranky. <laughs> kind of like the Snickers commercial. You're not you when you're hungry. You're not you when you're hungry for that relationship with God. And there are some times that I'm like, you know what? I've got to sit aside some time and shut the door and tell the phone to shush. And spend some time in his presence. And guess what? The peace comes back. The assurance comes back. The faith is refilled. See, life becomes this ongoing, it can become this ongoing, meaningful relationship of faith that is renewed every day. You know, I don't know about you, I love 
reading through the Psalms of David. Talk about just the embodiment of intimacy with God. Psalm 63.1 says, Oh God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. That's where we're living. A dry and thirsty land where there is no water. There ought to be something in us that is thirsting. There ought to be something in us that is longing. There ought to be something in us that is desiring that time and that refreshing and that refilling. Where we can walk because our faith is refillable. And then he goes on down in verse 3 and he just says, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Better than life? What's he saying? Really, you can kind of back up and say, you know what? If it comes down between a choice of all the stuff that this life has to offer and, and, and me feeling and knowing your love, if it comes down between the two, you just might as well take me now because I'd rather have and feel your love than to walk another day on this earth. That's a level of intimacy. See, if you don't have faith that way, there's nothing in this world that can truly satisfy. Yes, there are things that we need. There, there's, there's, there's things that we desire. I mean, we're, we're all human. There are things we, we know we need food. We know we need, we, we love and care for our relationships and our families and all those things. But yet we can't let pursuits of things outside of that be the driving force that pulls us away from relationship with him. So let's talk about an intimate measure. Because it all comes down to this. Who is he to you? I was thinking about that. Is, do we truly believe? Do we truly have relationship Or is it just some kind of knowledge with a little bit of faith mixed in, but a whole lot of unbelief? Here's a good test of where you're at. What do you call God? See, the way you address him personally or refer to him reveals a whole lot about the depth of your intimacy or lack thereof it. I give an example. When somebody calls me on the phone and I answer and they say, is Mr. Spy Jail there? I'm knowing that this is not somebody that I have a very close relationship with. If somebody calls and says, Pastor, it's a little closer. If somebody calls and says, my pastor, then I know that it's another step even closer. There are even some people that are here in this church that still refer to me as PD from our children's church days because that was short for Pastor David and that's just stuck and there are people all around that still call us that. That means they're closer. There's one person in particular that takes that even further. They call me PD track star. There's a story behind that. We were doing a, we were doing a, a, 
big kids crusade at a huge church, I mean, <laughs> largely attended. And so we took a team with us, and there was a young lady by the name of Joanna that was a part of our team, and she had come and was helping, and we'd had this great success. And so we were hanging out in the parking lot after it was all over with and, and talking, and, and she pulls up in her vehicle, and there was a bee or some kind of bug in the vehicle with her, and she jumped out all scared and was doing all this, and she, for, she forgot that she had not put the vehicle in park. And the vehicle started down the hill towards the service road of the highway. It was not going to be pretty. And people were just standing there. (gasps) I said, you know what? Somebody's got it. So I literally took off running after the car. Much younger days. (laughs) I caught up with the car, jumped in the vehicle, put on the brake, put it in park. And to her from that day on, I was known as PD Trackstar. For others, it's daddy or or husband. It's not so different with God. Your level of trust and belief in him has a lot to do with what you call him. I had somebody recently I was talking to, and they made a couple of comments. They said, you know, the man upstairs. I'm thinking, things aren't looking very good for you right now. (laughs) If that's how you refer to him. But you see, if you've had a saving relationship with him, this is when it's okay to claim ownership. My Savior. If you had some disease that the doctor said is incurable and there's nothing you can, we can do and he miraculously heals you, you can say, my healer. If you've been in that situation where there seemed to be no way and he brought about that financial miracle, you can say, my provider. If you're facing some emotional circumstance that you can just get no peace and he comes along and the peace that passes understanding floods your soul, you can say, my comforter. We could go on and on and on. When, those, when you have those kind of experiences with God, you can lay claim to those types of relationship and you can know because once he's become those things to you, he remains those things to you. You never forget the times that he stepped in and you can know that that's my God. That's my King. That's my Savior. That's my Lord. That's my healer. That's my Redeemer. That's my miracle worker. See, we can know that. But there's one more. Romans 8, 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I mean, when you can intimately call him a name such as Daddy God, because that's what Abba Father means. 
my daddy God, my, my, the, the one that I can go in and I can crawl. I mean, I remember as a kid, vaguely at times, just crawling up, be able to, when things weren't right, and crawl up in my dad's lap and curl up against him, knowing that it was going to be okay. We still have that access because of what Jesus did on the cross. We can call him Abba Father, and when we have those moments, we can go into our place of intimacy with him. We can curl up in his lap and say, Lord, I don't know what to do in the midst of all these things, but I know that you love me. I know that you provide for me. I know that you care me. I know that you've never failed me. And so, Lord, I know that I can sit here right in your presence and I can shut the world outside and I can abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's the kind of relationship he desires with every one of us. And once we know him on that kind of intimate level, how can we let unbelief remain in our cup? That father and son that day left knowing him as deliverer and Lord. I bet he never again said, Lord, help me with my unbelief. Our worship team can come. My whole point and my whole thought today is this. I know that we live in some of the most unsettling, some of the most difficult times that that perhaps we've seen in our lifetime. And boy, I mean, you you can flip on one news source and it's all leaning this way. You can flip on another news source and it's all leaning that way. And there's everything in between. It's gloom and doom and all the things that could go wrong. And, and you know, all the way down to murder hornets. <laughs> there's no shortage of things to worry about. And so it could be so easy. Claim unbelief. It can be so easy to lay claim to depression or worry, doubt. There are so many things. And it's easy to carry around a good bit of unbelief. But I can't express to you how much this week I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, that's not the point. Your faith is refillable. Whatever your deficit is, He can refill it. Jesus died on the cross because we had a holiness deficit. And his blood closed that gap. How much more can the presence of his Holy Spirit refill our faith? If we'll just let him.
And I know that as we sit here this morning, there's all kinds of people with all kinds of situations. Some of you are probably sitting at home that are watching online. There's circumstances in your life that you're like, I just, I've got too much unbelief. I want to challenge you today. He can refill that faith. If you're here this morning and, and, you're, and there's things, and maybe you've even been guilty of saying, my this and my that, don't claim it. Don't claim ownership of it. Give it to him. Let him take it. Let him lead you. So I'm just going to ask them to go back into that song they sing at the end. And as they do, I want to challenge you. Don't just sit in your chair, but if you're carrying with you some level of unbelief, if you're carrying with you some struggle, something that is you feel like is holding you back, I want to ask our prayer team to come across the front here, and we want to have a time of agreeing with you in prayer that it is not your battle to fight. Trust Him. Let Him refill your faith cup. Let Him refresh you and let you know that He is Lord and King. Let Him be your healer. Let Him be your comforter. Let Him be your provider. Let him be those things in your life. Leave him at the foot of the cross. He's done it before. He's done it for others. And he can do it again for you. Amen. That's you as they sing. Just step out. Don't let the enemy talk you out of it. Don't let, I wonder what anybody else is going to think. Don't care about all that stuff. Come meet with him right now.